Thank you. It was worth waiting 10 minutes for the sermon <laughs> to hear those songs and uh, verses. I just greet you all in the worthy name of our Lord Jesus. I want to welcome the visitors that are here. Thank you for coming and being a part of this our service this morning. I also appreciate and was very challenged by the first message, Myron, wherever you are, are there. I sense that a constant need in my life of my sense, my lack of urgency in prayer. But I did pray that this morning that... Um, the message that I have would be an inspiration and would be able to be received. Uh, a teaching and inspiration on a subject that some of you, that I told some of you, I got a text this morning that said, uh, uh, do you understand that I'm going to preach on the, uh, what was it, the dreaded subject of modesty. <laughs> so, I had uh, planned for several months already but did not feel clear. I felt there were other issues ahead of it and where we were at the church. And as a confession of faith that I had mentioned a while ago, it's not one of the weightiest matters of the gospel. And as such, I didn't want to run ahead and present it in front of other subjects that were more pressing. The last time... I uh, actually taught on this subject exclusively on, a, on, a, on one message was eight years ago exactly to a discipleship class of young people. Some of you probably were in it. The message is going to be completely different, but that's the last time I taught it was eight years ago on the subject of Christian attire and appearance. This message is not a major correction, but it is a reality check, and it is intended to jumpstart a conversation. We are planning to discuss some specific issues in the next brothers' meeting, and um, that's where we as brothers will get together and discern God's will for us where we're at as a congregation. So the title of the message is, What Does Your Clothing Say? Why don't we just stand for a word of prayer before we go forward. Lord, we are grateful to you, Lord, that we can call out to you, Lord, in faith, knowing that you in heaven use Turn your ear. The angels bend when people on earth pray in faith. And Lord, we are thankful, Lord. The uh, reality of that, Lord, has been again pressed on our hearts this morning. And thank you, Lord, for that reality. And I pray, Lord, as you are there in heaven, and you're looking down upon us this morning, that you, Lord, would move in our midst, that you would both give me a, a heart, Lord, that is, beats after your heart, and a heart also that is able to communicate your truth. And give us all hearts, Lord, that is open, open to your word, and open to instruction. And pray, Lord, that you would not only, not only instruct our minds, but our hearts as well. So, Lord, we look to you, thanking you, Lord, for answering our prayer ahead of time. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Understand that clothing is mentioned 1,400 times in the Bible. So maybe it's not such a little subject after all. Now it's been said, if you want to avoid controversy, there are two subjects you don't get into. That is, you can probably name them, politics and and religion. 
I'd like to add a third subject to that list, clothing. If I would want to avoid controversy, I would avoid this subject and I would relegate it to the area of Christian liberty. Done. Hands off of that one. But that's not quite where we're at this morning. Here's the question. Is clothing a language? When I say clothing, I mean the entirety of a person's grooming. Okay? It means the actual clothing that you put on, including your shoes. And it includes the combing and the trimming of your hair and beard. And it includes accessories like jewelry, cosmetics, watches, glasses. Yes, glasses is something you put on. So, is clothing a language? What do you think? Yes? It's a language. Okay. I think we get You know, when a baby is born, the first several years, it learns its language that it's exposed to. And I know some children here are exposed to three or four languages, and they learn every one of them, don't they? It's actually not intentional. It's by default that the children learn a language that they grow up in. It's called their mother tongue. They learn it by hearing it and by imitating. Then as a child gets older, it begins to express itself more individually in its language. Little it learns by imitation, but eventually it learns to express itself until as an adult, Jesus can say, out of the heart, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. That's what happens. So a child just learns it, but eventually the heart comes out. That's when we talk. Now, a baby is born and it's clothed by its mother. Not much, just accepts what's put on him. But at some point, awareness begins to dawn to that child and preferences begin to emerge. Is that right? right. And in some homes, by the teen years, there are wars being fought over what the teenager will wear or will not wear. Because the preferences of the heart are expressing itself. Okay? The heart of the young adult is expressing itself. So back to the original question. Is clothing a language? And we say yes. Now I ask, what is that youth in that home trying to express with its clothing? Is it a clothing issue? Or is it a heart issue? Even for those youths who are not opposed by their parents and can wear whatever they want to wear, is their heart still coming out? Should we have any concerns as parents how our children dress? If we have concerns, should we first deal with the heart? First. And let the outside go? Or should we deal with the outside and hope the inside follows? Or should we just go and pray and not do anything? Or should we do all of them? All of them. Here's another question. Is clothing only an issue between parents and their children? Or does the local church have any say in how people dress who are members of that congregation? It's a question. Can corporate agreement be made and adhered to? Now, I'm faulted for making 
statements or sometimes whole messages that are above people's heads. And the next statement that I'm going to make, only some of you are going to get it. Okay, just just accept that. That's okay. I will explain it in other terms. Here's a statement. There are ideologies. And then there are incarnations of those ideologies. Ideologies are belief systems. All ideologies express themselves in real flesh. People believe things and then they wear them. They externalize their ideas. This is an observation that what is in the heart eventually comes out. And it's just what Jesus said when he was criticized by the Pharisees for not washing his hands in the ceremonial way. And you can turn, if you want to, to Matthew 15. It's just simply an explanation. Jesus said, you are not clean because the outside is clean. In Matthew 15, verses 18 to 20. But these things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart, and they defile the man. For out of the heart proceeded evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witnesses, and blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man, but to eat with unwashed hands defile not a man. So as I address the subject of how we dress and groom ourselves, I acknowledge it is largely a heart issue. People believe things first. And then they wear them. But not only that, while we see the heart as a major component, there are other layers. And I'm just in the beginning here, I'm just going to give a few other layers of why we might dress the way we do. Okay? Uh, especially is um, why we might not dress properly is the main point here. There are different aspects of heart issues. One of them is ignorance. We may have no idea we are dressing sensually. Or we don't understand what message our clothing is saying. We may not understand that. There are inconsistencies in our clothing message. From what our heart, what we say message, and our clothing message is sometimes inconsistent because we're not aware of it. That person needs to be educated. Another reason is peer pressure. We see someone else wear that color, the style, or article, and nothing is said. So we think, it's okay. And we copy or imitate that. And in doing so, we can slowly drift from a biblical stance to one that is less so. That's not a wicked heart. It's just a non-vigilant one. Still another is deception. This is the idea, well, it's what in the heart that counts, belief. Since God looks on the inside, he doesn't care too much what's on the outside. So it doesn't really matter. I could bore you with countless scores of statements from secular sociologists who will describe how clothing is a form of communication. Just like the secular musicians will tell you that music, styles of music, have a moral element and a message with it. The secular world will tell you that. It's the Christians who say, no, it doesn't. No, it doesn't matter. There's nothing inherently moral about music or about clothing. They are amoral. They are willingly ignorant. And so some people may have bought into that lie. It's a deception. This past Thursday, I needed to go to Lancaster for a hearing aid checkup. 
Usually when I do, Vanita goes along and we um, go out together somewhere for lunch. It's one of the few special times we have together. Well, Vanita, she, well, what, what for restaurants in the area? So she found this little cafe in downtown Lancaster. Um, it's called Cafe 1-8. It's a Christian cafe. And 1-8 refers to Acts 1-8, where it talks about, But ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. Cafe 1-8. It sounded like a good place, especially since the last time we had gone to a restaurant, the music was horrible. So, we went. It was getting close to lunchtime as we waited for our food, so it was getting busy. And the customers were mostly young people. There was no music that was good. But it was near noon on a hot day. Were the, Christian, were the customers there all Christians? I don't know. But if they were, they had fully brought into the deception that God is concerned about the inside and not about the outside. And that clothing that you wear is all moral. That included the two girls who walked past the window on the sidewalk with their short shorts on, and a Lancaster Bible School t-shirt on. What are we to make of that? You know, the Bible does not exactly tell us what to wear or what not to wear. It gives us principles, and it expects us to have a seeking heart, to acknowledge and to follow them. Isaiah 64, 5 says, you meet him who joyfully works righteousness. Those who remember you in their ways, those who want to know will get to know his will. So where should we start this morning? Should we start with Jesus? A good place to start? What is the heart of Jesus? Do we have a description of Jesus' heart anywhere? Anybody? Anybody know? What's the description of Jesus' heart? Anybody? Offhand. Okay. Do my Father's will. Well, it talked about his heart. That's right, though. That is the heart. Let's read. Uh, I'm going to read Matthew 11:29. Take... My yoke upon you, and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. So what was Jesus' heart like? It is meek and lowly. Now, let's do a little exercise here. Is clothing, is the heart externalized? What do you think Jesus wore? With a meek and lowly heart. Did he wear bright and showy clothing? How about ostentatious and flashy? How about cocky and bold? Casual and cool? Tight and immodest? Trendy and fashionable. I don't hear any amens yet. Luxurious and expensive. What kind of message do you think Jesus' clothing communicated? Jesus Christ, superstar, with sunglasses on, right? Now, what kind of clothing do you think matches the heart of Jesus? See, he lived in another time and another culture. So his clothing was different than what you would see today. But his clothing still spoke back then 
like closing speech today. Closing always spoke. Back in the garden, the fig leaves weren't good enough. So, in the day and culture we find ourselves, does your clothing fit the description of the heart of Jesus as meek and lowly? There's another description of Jesus. It's in Hebrews, and I'll just read a partial verse because it just simply brings out, when it talks about in Hebrews 7, 26, as our high priest, Jesus as our high priest, it tells who is holy, he is harmless, he is undefiled, and he is separate from sinners. It's a description of Jesus. That's who he, our high priest is. And we want to be like Jesus. So, is your clothing holy? Is it harmless in the sense that it's not suggestive or sensual? Is it undefiled and separate from all fashions and messages and innuendos of the world? If indeed our clothing stems from a heart, and if indeed our clothing is a language, what is your heart saying today? Not just here, but during the week. Wherever you go, what does your clothing say? Does it say holiness? Does it say lowliness? Is your heart truly harmless? Can someone come to that conclusion by looking at you and looking at the language your clothing or grooming communicates? Now, you can go, if you want to, it's a very familiar verse, and we will always go to this verse when we talk about clothing, don't we? 1 Timothy 2.9 In like manner also, that women adorn themselves in modest apparel, with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broided hair, or gold, or pearls, or costly array. But, verse 10, but which becometh women professing godliness, with good works. When we fuse the heart of Jesus, the heart of Jesus as lowly and meek and holy and undefiled, if we fuse that heart with the directives of Paul, they actually fit. Let's actually read. I want to I want to read there in First uh, Peter, verses three, chapter three, verses three and four, which is a complementary verse, whose adorning, let it not be that outward adorning of the plating the hair and of wearing of gold or putting on of apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart, in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. Jesus, meek and lowly. Woman, meek and quiet. And it's completely connected to our attire. You see that? The heart of the Lord Jesus and the directives of Peter and Paul and the heart are all connected. And it's in Peter here, and in both of them, it, it, it includes... Everything. It includes your clothing. It includes your hair. It includes your apparel. What you, not your apparel, your accessories. What you put on. Gold and the plating of the hair and the putting on the apparel. All three areas that we put on is included here. And it's very important to God. Both the heart and the outward expression. So, this applies only to women, right, men? What do you think? This applies only to women, right? It applies only to women if you don't have a heart. If you have a heart, it applies to you. At least something applies to you because your communication, your clothing communicates also. Likewise. Now, I really believe women are addressed because they tend to face the greater temptation in the area of clothing. We men notice how women dress. As such, a woman's dress 
shouts louder than a man's dress. Can we say that? It shouts louder. And I think that's probably why God addresses it that way. And wow, does it shout. When Vanita and I were going to Lancaster this week, I said something to her so that she can just understand a little bit of what I experience. I asked her, did you see that young woman with the shorts over in the sidewalk? And she said, no, she didn't see anything. Well, I did. There was an immediate pull within... There was an immediate pull inside of me to keep looking. And there was an immediate response in my central part. And there was just as an immediate response from the Spirit of God to drop that thing like a hot potato. All in one second. You men, every one of you know exactly what I'm talking about. There was an immediate decision needed to be made what I'm going to do with that thing, whether I'm going to yield to it or not. Which pool, which of those pools am I going to obey? That scenario goes on every day, many times a day. Each victory will help you another to win. Each failure will deepen that rut that you get yourself in. And it is reality, even though we as men wish we could sidestep the issue, we can't, because it's who God made us to be. Many of you younger ladies have no idea of the intensity of the battle that goes on in the other gender. So when the call comes to you to dress in a way that covers both the skin and the form, do not treat it like a side issue or as a male control thing. It's a very loving thing to do. In fact, it's a sin not to do that. I have a quote by Richard Baxter, a Puritan of the 17th century. I don't know if any of you have heard this quote or not. It's a tremendous quote, but it's Old English, so I'm going to try to read it in such a way that you can follow it. He talks about immodest clothing on a woman. On a woman. Here's the quote. Immodest clothes tends to the ensnaring of the minds of the beholders, to shameless, lustful, wanton passion. Basically, a sensually dressed woman draws the passions of a man. Though you say you meant it not, It is your sin if you do that which will probably procure it, yea, that you did not your best to avoid it. And though it be their sin and vanity that is the cause, it is nevertheless your sin to be the unnecessary occasion. For you must consider that you live among diseased souls, and you must not lay a stumbling block in their way, nor blow up the fire of their lusts, nor make your ornaments their snare. But you must walk among sinful persons as you would sow with a candle among straw or gunpowder. Or else you would see the flame when it is too late to quench it. So why does God address women specifically? That's why. It's wrapped up in the beautiful design that God made when he designed the genders of men and women differently. And it's beautiful. But the devil takes it, that beautiful design, and twists it into something tremendously ugly. Therefore, God says to you ladies, adorn the inside, not the outside. At least in that kind of way. Men, where does this find us with our dress? What does our clothing say? We can't attract the ladies in the same way they do us, but we sure can be cool 
We can express our independence from old ideas, ideas with our clothing. We can identify with our heroes by imitating their style. Or we can just express our own individuality and identify by doing something no one else is doing. Just be yourself. In all this, your clothing says things to other people. You are expressing your heart also. You know, you have to know that your clothing is a profession of some kind of faith. It's an identification with something. Clothing is a profession. This is the age of authenticity, and you prove you're authentic by doing what you want to do, and by dressing like you want to dress. It's the age of YouTube, iPhone, and selfies. Everything's about you. And you identify yourself to being you by dressing how you want to dress. That's the spirit of the age. Question I have for you men. If you are with a young lady or with your wife, and she's dressed on the outside in the same manner that her heart is on the inside, meek and lowly, holy and heartless and undefiled, and that's her heart, and her clothing is consistent with her heart, and you are with her. The way you dress, does your communication, does your clothing communicate that you belong to her? We men are to be leaders of our wives and daughters. God has put us without question in a leadership role. We are failing our role if we are an example in this area as well. Dean Taylor shared of his struggle years ago when he saw an inconsistency at a local store where he saw a man with tight jeans and a t-shirt alongside a wife that was modestly dressed in a cape dress and a covering. And inconsistent. What does all that mean for us on the ground? How should we apply the word to our lives? Can we make some very practical applications in our lives? Here's where anybody will get in trouble. We can all agree on the generalities. That's easy. Even in government, they can pass generality plans but when they come down to specifics, they can't get anything done. I stand the risk of being unpopular or censored by becoming detailed, but I believe that the effectiveness of a teaching is greatly diminished unless I tell you what we generally mean by when we say being meek and lowly and undefiled. We need the heart we need to understand it come from a heart, but then we need to actually bring it down to the ground. We do. Now, I want, don't want to be misunderstood. I'm not picking anyone, and I want you ladies to know that I really don't really know what you wear. I don't come here in the morning and look at the ladies and observe them. And some of the things that I'm going to um, quote or not quote, uh, going to address, probably some of you do, or have. And except for a few exceptions, I had no idea whether which one of that is of use would. Okay? So I want you to understand that. But we do need to get specific. Um, Adonine Judson faced that problem and he wrote a letter, and his, his problem was that the ladies, he had taken a biblical stand against ornaments and jewelry. And, um, and he was having difficulty because the new missionaries coming from the States, after he took care of it with the natives on the field, the missionaries were coming from the States with it on. 
and caused him a tremendous amount of consternation. And he has one quote about little things that I want to, um, to read here and understand. Be not deterred by the suggestion, he says, that such discussions about outward adornment, that you are conversant about small things. Someone comes with the accusation that that's, that's just little stuff. Don't be deterred by that accusation. He said, great things depend on small. And in that case, things which appear small to short-sighted men are great in the sight of God. Many there are who praise the principles of self-denial in general, but condemn it in all its particular applications as too minute, too scrupulous, and too severe. So it's okay to be general, but if you get specific, that's too, too, too detailed. Then he makes this statement, The enemy is well aware that if he can secure the minute units, the sum total will be his own. That's a strong statement. But I don't think it's untrue. Adonai Judson, 1831. The followers of Jesus' confession of faith states it this way in this article about closing. Because we love God and his righteousness, we choose modest, simple, serviceable dress as the scriptures teach. Because we love our neighbor, we reject anything designed to foster lustful looks or thoughts. In view of these principles, we reject the display and ornamentation of the world's fashions and fads. We seek to glorify God in our bodies as well as our spirits, for both belong to God. We choose dress that reflects humility and godly virtues. Doesn't that sound like the heart of Jesus? Like we've already seen. But it's still not specific. Still general. Here's the rest. Then he says, specifically, we avoid form-fitting clothing, loud colors, sheer clothing, and eye-catching styles. We brothers choose loose-fitting trousers and modest shirts. Our sisters wear simple, unadorned dresses with long skirts, modest sleeves, a double-layer bodice, and concealing necklines. We expect both brothers and sisters to choose fabrics and patterns that deliberately conceal bodily forms and promote modesty. Now we're getting a little more specific, a little more specific. We avoid some things, form-fitting clothing, loud color, sheer clothing, eye-catching styles. Is that hitting the areas that Jesus would avoid? And we choose, we avoid some things, but we also choose specifics. It said, loose-fitting trousers and modest shirts, talking about the men. What is that? Well, I'm sure it's not tight-fitting jeans and a t-shirt. What about a polo shirt? I have seen modest polo shirts. And I've seen immodest ones. I would like brothers for the polo shirts and t-shirts to be a part of the brothers meeting discussion this Wednesday evening. We want to talk about it. I don't think I need to mention sleeveless shirts, do I? Or maybe just roll them up and temporarily make them sleeveless. And jeans. Several years ago, we had a discussion at a brothers' meeting about jeans, and we finally came to the conclusion that jeans is here to stay. You can get common jeans that are good, serviceable. You can. They're a durable clothing, a piece of clothing that can be properly purchased and worn. Well, I had in my mind what that means. 
Well, we would avoid tight and low-cut jeans as well as designer jeans of all kinds. Now, I had in mind what a common colored jean would look like or something close to it. But I wasn't quite prepared to see all the various types of faded jeans and styles. wasn't quite prepared for that. And I wonder if some of us may need a serious reality check in that area. Our brothers, our sisters rather, wearing simple unadorned dresses with long skirts, modest sleeves, double-layered bodice, and concealing necklines. Does this to a sister who has the heart and the spirit of Jesus need any more definition? You would think not. And you know what? This to a large large degree describes most of you. You know, we're, we do not face here what a lot of people face. As I studied on this topic, I over and over again came across the cry of parents who didn't know what to do in their church situation. They are not able to conscientiously take their children to their church because of the immodesty in the service let alone the youth group or the church camp. And every other church they visit, it's the same thing. The cry is, where can I take my family where our sons are not exposed to acres of skin and sensual, tight clothing? Where can we take our daughters where they're not thought weird and make fun of because they're dressed modestly? They could come here. Thank you. Greg Pierce, a pastor from Arkansas, says this. He said, I once had such a problem with immodesty in a Southern Baptist church that I enacted a dress code. When I read the dress code from the pulpit, the teenagers and their parents became so angry they wanted to fight me in the parking lot. Then I showed them I was reading from a public high school student handbook. He said, even the Catholic Church has more modesty than a lot of of our churches do. Shame on us. You know, I just want to know that I want to bless you. That is not where we're at. Praise God. And yet, could we say there are some fractures that have developed here? Could I say that? Will I get in a fight in the parking lot? Maybe some bolder prints, brighter colors, lower necklines, little or no gathers at the skirt, shorter sleeves. What is the true meaning of shamefacedness that Paul exhorts women to have? Shamefacedness is a state of mind. Every day when you dress, shamefacedness should be part of your state of mind. It's irreverent, almost bashful, the opposite of if you got it, flaunt it attitude. Shamefacedness, it backs off the exposure. It covers rather than reveals. It understates rather than promotes. It's reserved. It shrinks back from passing over the limit of womanly reserve and modesty, which includes relationships, by the way, not just clothing. It has to do with shrinking back from pushing at the limits, from pushing the boundaries. If you are a shamefaced woman, you will not Push the boundaries because the two are opposite. It's the opposite of elaborate and gaudy and bright and flashy. It includes footwear. Modesty tones it down, does not spice it up. I don't think Jesus would wear glittery or glitzy footwear. 
and we are not going to get more detailed than that. There's, you know, you know what it means. I think mostly by toning it down. Oh, did I mention sweaters? May I mention sweaters? I may need an education. Or is it just my imagination that sweaters are actually becoming the fashion choice of choice among us? I don't know. I might need to be educated. There's a time when most people are fanning themselves because it's so hot, there are still ladies with sweaters on. And it's all kinds of sweaters. Short sleeve sweaters, sheer sweaters, um, see-through sweaters, sweaters that when buttoned up really accentuate the form. You know, in our youth, we were forbidden, uh, the, uh, the church that was at forbade pullover sweaters, which were popular. Why pullover sweater? Because they're tight and clingy, and you can get an anatomy lesson when you put pullover sweaters on. Well, that's how some sweaters are here when they're buttoned up and they're too tight. Sweaters is possibly something we want to talk about at the brothers' meeting. Now, I like sweaters. I really do. And you have a sweater on. Don't worry about it. You know, I'm not talking about a sweater. They help you keep warm. It's a little cool. A loose, common sweater is a wonderful addition to a godly woman's attire. But if it's too tight, get rid of it. And sheer, see-through, loose-knit sweaters. Maybe I need an education, but I cannot see any reason to have a sheer sweater. Except for one reason. What do you do with sheer clothing? Look underneath. I might need an education, but I cannot believe that it is for modesty. I can't quite wrap my mind around that. Maybe we need to re-examine where we are in this area. Brand name clothing. Fashion designers deliberately try to build their brand by trying to connect you with their brand to get you to have an identity with them. A customer's identity. Clothing designers want people who will identify with the brand and be a walking advertisement to that style. And these are clothing like Calvin Klein. I'm not going to say this right. Aeropostal? Aeropostal? Something like that. Abercrombie and Fitch, as well as others. By wearing these brands, you identify with their philosophy of the company that is selling them. Styles make identity connections. So while God says to include your apparel, apparel in your profession of godliness, the fashion industry says that you are making a profession of some brand, some style, some angle on the world. Frankly, if we are going to be holy, harmless, undefiled, and separate from sinners, we're not going to wear clothing that identifies us with some of those fashion brands. I'm not saying about just buying clothing that's made by them. Here, let me give you an example. If Playboy were a clothing company, or they'd start one, if they would have a fashion brand of clothing, would it be appropriate to wear something with their name or emblem on it? Would it be appropriate? They say, no, that's pornography. They specialize in pornography. Many of those other fashion companies are not far removed from that. Since your clothing speaks... I would say don't wear anything that speaks of a designer company or their clothing or their emblems, their names. And if you have some, I think you ought to get rid of it. Wear common, serviceable clothing. Am I getting too minute? Am I too severe? I haven't spoken anything about accessories. 
Fancy that includes ties for men. Fancy watches. I have to say fancy phones today, huh? Decorated scarves. Ribbons and lace on dress skirts. Extra buttons. Stylish eyeglasses. I remember when Sarah Palin was chosen as a running mate for one of the presidential, I think it was Mick Romney or somebody, I'm not sure who it was, somebody like that. She had these very peculiar glasses on. And don't you know it, I mean, those were really in style for a while. Eyeglasses can be a style piece. You don't have to be. Shirts and coats with pictures on them, etc., etc., our confession of faith that you as members agreed to says this way. Clothing will be simple and free of pride and ornamentation. Also, you agreed to, we will not follow the changing fad and fashions of the world, for they are vanity. That is what you agreed to. And I think maybe we do need a reality check. Since we are on the changing fads and fashions, shall we look at how we cut and or comb our hair? May I talk about ladies' hairs? (laughs) We don't. And we had never required, like some churches do, a certain, this pattern is how you got to comb and that's it. We've never done that. And we don't want to. But I say, don't swoop it down. Don't puff it up. Don't hang it, let it hang out loose and straggly. Comb your hair neatly and appropriately cover it with a sizable covering. And then go and serve God. That's, we make our life too complicated sometimes. Sometimes we talk about we make the Christian life complicated. I tell you what, sometimes we complicate our life. If you don't know how to do that, ask an older, wiser person. Woman, probably. Boys and men, same thing. If you need some gel to hold your hair in place, then use a little bit of gel. But you shouldn't be able to see it. Don't get the fat cuts, which is the buzz cut, or the swoop in front, or the long strangly style. Same with the beard. We have never made it any policy whether you should have a beard or not. But we never intended or desired that anyone follow the styles of what we call the designer beards. We never had that in mind when we let that open. Designer beard, a tough here and a scruff there. Here a tough, there a scruff, everywhere a scruff tough. To me, that includes the goatee and or long sideburns or a beard that just shave real short, maybe just a scruffy, weak, scroweth look because you can... Look at the, well, let me ask you, because who are you emulating? Where do those styles emulate from? They come from pop culture. The singers, and the actors, and the movie stars, and the celebrities, that's where they come from. The church that adopts them has simply become worldly. It doesn't mean all is lost. It doesn't. A church can adopt those worldly things, and it's still a church, but it's worldly. But the world is a package, and it doesn't stop. 
more comes with it. If you have a worldly, if you, if you have a philosophy that allows the world to come in, the world doesn't say, okay, I'll just get this much and we'll stop. Many places have learned that when you accept the spirit of that, tattooing and piercing isn't that far behind. It's coming from the same source. We'll probably talk about this at our brother's meeting also. Now, some of the things I said may need to be modified. Some of that's my perspective. But some things may need to be strengthened. And there are some gaps of what I talked about this morning. I didn't miss mention cosmetic because I don't know anything about it. Except I cannot understand why a shamefaced and meet young girl or lady would paint her toenails or fingernails. I don't understand that. I really don't. What message is that saying? So I won't hit everything, but we all need to get the principle clearly in our hearts. And if the principle is clearly in our hearts, I needed to get specific, but if the principle is in your hearts, in my heart, not much needs to be said. Just frankly, not much needs to be said. But we need to get specific so we know what we're talking about. And we all have blind spots. We need to help each other in our blind spots. We all have inconsistencies. And we can help each other in our inconsistencies. Ladies, if you want something, a slogan to remember besides the, the McDonald's time off there, here's another one. Here's one you can take home. When it comes to modesty, long, loose, and lots of it will pretty well take care of it. Remember that. For modesty, long, loose, and lots of it. So there are ideologies and then there are incarnations of those ideologies. All ideologies express themselves in real flesh life. People believe things, and then they wear them. They externalize their ideas. The humanist says, it's my body, I can do what I want with it. Today's Christian says, it's my liberty, I can do what I want. The Christian says, I belong to God, he can tell me what to do. And turn to Titus chapter 2 verses 11 to 15 for a closing verses here. would like for you to look at these verses if you could because it ties it together. It's the heart of Jesus. It's the heart of Paul writing to Titus telling Titus to direct those former heathens that were on the island of Crete to instruct them in the way of God. Titus 2, we're starting at verse 11. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Your message, your clothing should communicate that message. Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. And Titus, these things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. Why don't we stand again for a word of prayer? Let's pray. Lord, we are grateful to you in the clarity, in the gentleness, in the goodness of your word. Lord, we love to see your heart. We love, Lord, how you were so otherworldly. And yet, while you lived in this world, you operated in this world in the way that communicated 
and was consistent with your heart. We ask you, Lord, you would help each one of us to do exactly the same thing in this area of our attire. Lord, there's other areas of the Christian life, many other areas. Though we know this is not the weightiest matter of the gospel, we cannot ignore it. So I pray, Lord, you would bless each one here. And Lord, help us all to understand your heart. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. May sit down. Thank you for listening to this message. We trust that it has been a blessing to you. If you would like additional sermons or a catalog, please visit our website at effortofministries.org. Call us toll-free at 855-557-7902 or write to us at Ephrata Ministries, 400 West Main Street, Suite 1, Ephrata, Pennsylvania, 17522. You are welcome to copy this message for free distribution. This ministry is supported by your donations. May the Lord Jesus bless you.